Praise the Lord. He is alive. Amen, church? If you have your Bibles, I hope you do. Psalm 67 this morning as we continue through our series in the book of Psalms, skipping our way along. And uh, we are in Psalm 67 in a series called Wisdom and Worship. As you're turning there, let me go ahead and make you aware of a few announcements. Uh, we do have a work day coming up, and it is on February the 26th at 9 a.m., and this is kind of a call out. There's some much-needed maintenance and uh, things that we need to upgrade in our children and youth areas, and so especially dads of children and youth, if you would like to join with the deacons that day, uh, find Marcus Mansell out in the lobby, and he can give you some more information about that. Uh, another thing is spring retreat, actually membership class. Let's do that one first. Membership class is coming up. Maybe you've been visiting for quite a while, and uh, you want to make this your church home, this would be the, the path to do that. So we would have a lunch for you, and we would talk about membership, what it means to be a member, and then hear one another's stories of redemption and salvation. And so uh, there's a sign-up and RSVP out in the lobby. If you would like to make this your church home, we would love to have you. But more than anything, we're praying that God would lead you to a body of believers that you can be a part of and that uh, he would use you for his kingdom. And so finally, students, today is the last day to sign up for spring retreat. You don't want to miss it. Parents, uh, this is the last day to sign your kids up for spring retreat because we know how responsible those teenagers are. And uh, so this would be uh, a day to do that. And you don't want to miss out on going on this trip with the youth. So those are a few announcements as we uh, have given you enough time to jump into Psalm 67. Psalm 67, let the peoples praise you a life of missional worship, if you'll follow along in God's word with me. To the choir master with stringed instruments, a song, a song. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us, Selah. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God, let the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Selah. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase, God. Our God shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that it was inspired by your spirit, that it teaches us truth and leads us and guides us into a better understanding of you and a life that is used to honor and worship and praise you. Father, today we would ask that our words would be words of worship, but our lives would be laid on the altar of lives of worship for you. In Christ's name, amen. Over the last several weeks, we've looked at the idea of wisdom and worship, and we've kind of uncovered this biblical definition that, that worship is not just personal. It's not just a personal experience that we have, and it's not just this corporate gathering that we have. This is not just a worship gathering where we sing corporately, but worship has a missional aspect to it, that worship is not just for inside the walls of the church, but worship is for outside the walls of the church. And so it is missions. Worship is missions. As John Piper put it, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. The goal of missions is the gladness of the peoples and the greatness of God. Worship, then, is missional because worship is the gladness that people have in the greatness of God. As we go out 
in gladness today. As we go out worshiping because of who God is, it's contagious. It's worship that is missional so that all the peoples may praise. And sometimes it feels like that is a difficult mission. Now, I don't know about you, but you might have a different mission on your mind right now. You might be already tuning me out thinking, I have got to get this done today and this done today. And as soon as service is over, we've got to go to this store because we forgot to pick up this. And we're going to have people over tonight for Super Bowl Sunday. And oh, yeah, I forgot that tomorrow is Valentine's Day. And I am totally behind on Valentine's Day, men. And so I've got to go and I've got to get some things done because I've got a mission. Seems almost impossible sometimes to get all the things done that we need to get done. But God's mission for us is not impossible. I do love Mission Impossible, the movies, by the way. I love that idea there where he gets the the breakdown of, here's your mission, should you choose to accept it. Church, you have a mission for the glory of God to the nations, should you choose to accept it. So your mission, our mission, is to expand the message of God's global redemption to the nations for his glory and his namesake. This is the mission that we've all been called to, a mission of worship among the nations. Now, as we think about missions, a lot of times we think about the neediness of man. Maybe we say, oh, this, this village needs a well. We need to go and we need to dig a well. Oh, or there was this disaster that took place and we need to go and work and do this disaster relief. And these are all great things. Maybe, maybe we can think of a, a bunch of other reasons to go on missions, but these are secondary reasons to the primary reason, and the primary reason is for the glory of God. And if the secondary reasons ever become the primary reasons for missions, then you will cease to do missions because you will go with an agenda to get some physical things done and forget about the spiritual things that God has called us to, which is to worship around the nations so that they will be brought in to glorify God and find goodness and greatness in Him. Amen? And so we have to realize that the glory of God is the heart and motivation behind missions not the neediness of man. To glorify God among the nations. Now, Charles Spurgeon, he was, he was pretty gifted. He was a great preacher back in the 1800s. And I know I've shared this quote before, and I'd like to share it again. Charles Spurgeon wrote this. Once more, he who really has this high estimate of Jesus will think much of him. And as the thoughts are sure to run over at the mouth, he will talk much of him. Do we so? If Jesus is precious to you, you will not be able to keep your good news to yourself. You will be whispering it into your child's ear. You'll be telling it to your husband. You'll be earnestly imparting it to your friend. Without the charms of eloquence, you'll be more than eloquent. Your heart will speak, and your eyes will flash as you talk of his sweet love. Every Christian here is either a missionary or an imposter. Recollect that. You either try to spread abroad the kingdom of Christ or else you do not love him at all. It cannot be that there is a high appreciation of Jesus and a totally silent tongue about him. I mean, punch in the gut, right? Charles Spurgeon, he wasn't He wasn't pulling his punches. He was going straight for us when he was saying, listen, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you realize who he is and how great and how holy and how awesome he is and you are enamored by that, there will be be no way that you can keep silent about him. 
You will want to sing his praises among the peoples and the nations because of his glory and his radiance in your life. You will have tasted and seen that the Lord is good and the salvation that you've experienced. You will want to tell everyone, starting with your family and your friends and then the nations. You see how worship is missional? It's a worship that is overflowing out of my life that I cannot keep silent about the goodness and graciousness of God. To think that it cannot be that there is a high appreciation of Jesus and a totally silent tongue about him. Every believer who has a heart of worship, who is enamored by the glory of God, will be a missionary of proclamation. Therefore, a church that truly worships will be a church on mission. And a church that is not missional is a church that's not worshipful. We here, worshiping, should flow out of this building into the lives of those that we encounter week after week because he is worthy. We want to sing his praises so the church is the conduit, the missional agent which God uses as worship in all peoples. So let me show you this in Romans 15, 7 through 9. We are going to go back to Psalm 67, I promise you. Like, we will get there, but, I, you know, there's just too much. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, and in order, order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. There is a worship that takes place among the Gentiles. And when we say Gentiles, that, you know, obviously that's not the Jews, but it's also those who represent the ones who are separated from God, sinners, Gentiles, those who do not know God, that there is a church that gathers for one another for the glory of God and then goes and sings about the glory of God among the Gentiles. This is the call of the church. Ephesians, Paul would say it this way in 3, 8 through 11, to me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things? So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is a purpose for the church, and it is to bring praise among the peoples. It is to reveal the manifold wisdom of God found in Jesus Christ, and he does that through his individual vessels that are gathered together as the corporate body as they go out in this world. And if you're a part of our community groups, we're going through a book called Rediscover Church, and one of the first verses that we covered that you might have covered was in Isaiah. In Isaiah 62, 1 through 2 and verse 12, speaks of the church of Israel that would one day be redeemed this way. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. 
The nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. And here it is in verse 12. They and they shall be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you shall be called sought out, a city not forsaken. Here's what the Lord says. The Lord says, I will not be silent until your righteousness goes out as a witness to the nations. And the only way that there is righteousness that takes place is that it is imputed to us through Jesus Christ. It is mission impossible without the, the presence of Jesus in our life and his imputed righteousness on our behalf. You might say, well, Jeff, I don't even know what imputed righteousness is. Okay, good. I'm glad you asked. Here it is. This is the idea that we are sinners by nature and we cannot make ourselves righteous. We cannot place ourselves in a right standing with God. There is nothing that we can do that is good enough to earn our place with God. We need Christ's righteousness imputed to us, meaning we need his holiness credited to our account. And this is why Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So this righteousness that has been imputed to the church is the means in which there is a bright burning torch to the nations, that the righteousness of Christ would be seen in the life of the church in such a marvelous way of worship that it draws people in. I'm trying to take this psalm and I'm trying to take the whole collection of the biblical understanding of missions and draw you into the idea that there is a missional call on the life of all believers for the glory of God that he would be praised and sung about among all peoples, tribes, languages, and tongues. And that is placed on us and it is done through his righteousness and his righteousness alone because there is nothing good in me. Missions is impossible without the imputed righteousness of Christ. So I'm going to ask you this question before we jump in to this psalm. Is your life so filled with Christ's imputed righteousness that your life of worship is a missional declaration of the glory of God? That's a difficult question. When you think about your life, and your life, all of life is one of worship. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Like all of life is one of worship. Every decision that you make, the way that you speak to others, all of life is worship because we are living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to the Lord. We lay our lives on the altar of sacrifice in worship to God. My, it's not my life anymore, it's your life. It's worship. Is your life so filled with Christ's imputed righteousness that your life of worship is a missional declaration of the glory of God? That when people see your life, just as Pastor Al read about Daniel, that when people see your life, they give glory to God because he is a true God. 1 Peter 2.9 But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You have a purpose to proclaim. First thing I'd like you to see out of Psalm 67, 
A life of wisdom and worship understands that we are blessed to be a blessing for his namesake. We are blessed to be a blessing. Let's look at verses one through three. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us, Selah, which means to pause. That your way may be known on earth, your salvation, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. So we have here that God is gracious and God blesses us and he lets his face shine upon us so that his way may be known in all the earth. So there's a blessing that God reveals himself in such a way that it's not just for us, but it's for all peoples. You see this, all peoples, all nations, that they would praise him. So God blesses for us to be a blessing. Let's think about it in terms like this. We here, those of us who are here, not, not maybe listening online or whatever, but those of us who are here, we live in an area that many people would call the Bible Belt. And what that means is, is there are so many churches in our tight area that you can take a rock and you can throw it and probably hit another church from a church. Am I right? There are churches on almost every street corner. You can drive down the road and you can choose whichever denomination you would like to choose that Sunday or Saturday, depending on what part of town you're in. That was a joke. You can laugh. But we live in a country, we live in a culture, and we live in a community that is inundated with the gospel and the knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. Would you agree? Do you see the blessing in that? The blessing in the fact that you are in an area that you don't have to wonder who Jesus is, you don't have to wonder about God, that you might have even been raised in the church from day one, understanding who God is and having that revealed to you through the Holy Scriptures by faithful teachers, Sunday school teachers, pastors, friends, loved ones who are inundating you with who Jesus is day in and day out. What a blessing it is. But what about the rest of the world? There's what is called unreached people groups. Unreached people groups are places in which Christ is largely unknown or the church has no real impact for Christ to be known. So these are unreached people groups. So there's roughly 3.2 billion people in this category. 3.2 billion people live without the blessing of knowing who God is. Let's do an example. Northern Yemen, which is in the Middle East. Do you know how many believers are estimated to be in Northern Yemen? About 20 or 30 out of a population of 8 million. So let's put it in our, our context. Let's take one of our Sunday school classes as all the believers. And then let's ask them to reach the entire population of Georgia and Alabama combined. Wow. That seems impossible. But it's not. Because here's your mission, should you choose to accept it to make his name praised among the nations. See, those who are blessed with the knowledge of Jesus are to become a blessing to those who need the knowledge of Jesus. Do you understand that? If you've been blessed with the knowledge of Jesus, then you are to be a blessing to those who need 
to have the knowledge of Jesus, those who need to hear about him. And this is how it began in the very beginning when Jesus called Abram, or when God called Abram, he said this, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. This sounds like missions, doesn't it? Leave your family, leave your country, leave your place, and I want you to go to a place I'm going to show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God has a motivation here behind blessing. Are you ready? God's motivation for blessing individuals has a missional and multi-generational purpose. God's blessing, him giving us the knowledge of who he is, has a purpose, and it's a missional and multi-generational purpose. So you go on to Isaac here, Genesis 26, 4. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands, and in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So let's talk about the blessing that you have if you know Jesus Christ and you're sitting here today. You have been given a blessing in order for those missionally outside of your family to hear about Jesus, but also inside your family, multi-generational, handed down from generation to generation to generation. So therefore, if you're a grandparent in this room, I want you to raise your hand. Grandparents? Grandparents who love their kids, raise your hand. I caught you. Grandparents who love your grandkids, raise your hand, right? (laughs) You have been blessed to be a blessing to those kids and those grandkids that you can impart the knowledge of Jesus Christ that you have received for all the years of sitting under teaching into their life. It is a missional and multi-generational purpose for God's blessing in your life. This is why the church is multi-generational. And so we gather together, and we've got kids running around in here. I don't care. Like, we can scream. They can laugh. They can yell. They can color. I don't care what they're doing because we're a multi-generational church where we're imparting to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation the blessings of knowing Jesus Christ. Missions begins with worship. And I'll tell you this. If you're not worshiping, then you're not imparting worship to the next generation. What are you displaying in the life of worship in your life that is then shown to the next generation and even those outside of your family, to those you work with, to those you live near, and not only in our community but to the ends of the earth. Christ-centered commentary says it this way, beware, we are prone to disconnect God's blessing in our lives from God's purpose for our lives. Our hearts resonate with the idea of grace and for good reason. However, it is oftentimes a grace centered around us. So while grace is worthy of our attention, if disconnected from its purpose, the sad result is a self-centered Christianity that misses the purpose of God. Let me stop right there. We're, We're a church that our mission starts with Christ. We want to be a Christ centered church. That means that we sing songs that are Christ-centered, not me-centered. 
And that means sometimes we're not singing the songs that are on the radio because we don't want a me-centered Christianity in here. We want a Christ-centered Christianity. We want to exalt Christ. And so here's what, here's what he says. If you ask the average Christian in our culture, what is the message of Christianity, you will likely hear something along the lines of, God loves me. But that's not Christianity. It's true, of course, but it's incomplete. In this me-centered version of Christianity, we become the focus. We make plans for our lives and careers based on what's best for us. We choose a house to live in, a car to drive, clothes to wear, even a way of living based on what we want. However, the message of Christianity is God loves me so that. There's a purpose behind the blessing of knowing Jesus Christ. Again, 1 Peter 2.9, let me reread it. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are a chosen race. You are a holy people. You have been blessed to be a blessing. You are to be blessed so that you can proclaim the blessing of knowing who God is. So God chose me so that. God blessed me so that. Christ imputed his righteousness on me so that. I will be a blessing to others by taking the good news of Jesus Christ to those who have not received it for his glory and for his name to be praised among all peoples and nations. Amen? Number two, a life of wisdom and worship understands that we are saved to be sent for his namesake. So next step, verses four and five, let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth, Salem. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Why are we blessed to be a blessing? Why are we saved to be sent? Because we know that a righteous judgment is coming for all peoples. Those of us who have been blessed with the knowledge of God understand that there is a righteous judgment that is coming, and unless Christ's righteousness is imputed upon you, you stand condemned under a holy, holy, holy God. And so that message has got to get out so that when the judgment day comes, those who have put their faith, hope, and love in Christ will be welcomed into the, into the fold of heaven, right? Psalm 98.9, before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Paul in Acts 17 31 says, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Paul would say, listen, there's a day where everyone will stand before the righteous judge. And we know who the righteous judge is because he's the one who lived the righteous life in our place, died a death, but was risen to newness of life. And so one day he will stand as judge, Lord over all. And that, that judge has come into the world. As Jesus was trying to explain this to Nicodemus, he said this in John 3, 18 through 19, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. There's a judgment that is coming, and the judgment is based on whether or not 
we have believed in the name of the only Son of God, Jesus Christ, who came into the world. One day we will all stand before that seat, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 10 through 11, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God. Listen, we know and we fear the Lord. We revere him. We know that he is holy. And because we know this, because we've been blessed with this knowledge, because we have been saved, and he's imputed his righteousness upon us, we are now sent. And we persuade others to give their lives to Christ, to bow before him, because one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so we see a picture of God's ultimate goal in Revelation chapter 7, 9 through 10. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is a picture of what ultimately is going to take place because we have been saved and sent. So the mission that we've all been called to in order to get to what Revelation 7 has is found in Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. If you have been saved, then you have been sent. It is a call on every one of our lives to make worship not something that is just personal, to make worship more than what is a corporate gathering, but to make worship a lifestyle that sings the praises of God among the Gentiles and those who don't yet know him. We have been blessed to be a blessing. We have been saved to be sent. And so where do we begin? We begin with prayer. Jesus, when he's teaching his disciples how to pray, he says this, pray then like this in Matthew 6, 9. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy be your name. Worthy be your name. Honored be your name. Isn't it? Isn't it interesting that when Jesus is teaching us how to pray, that he begins here? Before we pray for our daily bread, before we pray for our needs, before we pray for others, before we pray for forgiveness, before we pray for deliverance, before we pray for deliverance from temptations, we are to pray that God's name would be honored and glorified in our life, that we would be people who worship. 2 Thessalonians 1 11 and 12 says, To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of the Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our, Lord, of our God and our Lord Jesus Christ. It begins with prayer. We begin praying that God would be honored in our life, that we would reverence him, that he would be holy, that we would worship him. And then as a corporate body, we begin to pray for one another that we would live in a way that is accordance to the calling that he has placed on our lives, that we would bring him honor and glory in the way that we live. You have been saved so that. So that what? 
so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you. Let me ask you another question. Is the name of the Lord glorified in your daily living? Because that's worship. Hallowed be your name. The third thing I'd like you to see this morning is a life of wisdom and worship understands that we are given much to give much for his name's sake. We have been given much to give much. The last two verses, six and seven, the earth has yielded its increase. God, our God shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. This psalm in its context is a harvest psalm. It's a song that is saying after the harvest that God has yielded the increase that they have been able to get all of the crops and all of the things in and they are looking at the bountiful blessing that they have and they're thinking, we have been given so much. Let the peoples praise him. Because we've been given so much, we, we're not just satisfied with worshiping. We want everybody else to know all the blessings and so we want the world to worship. So we're given much to give much. And so here's a remarkable thing that we need to realize is that God gives his people material wealth for the sake of the world's spiritual health. You and I have been given so much that we are to use what has been given to us materially, physically, financially, for the world to know him not to just sit on it and, and to enjoy it ourselves. It's, it's like the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea's dead, right? It only has things going into it. It only has one source going into it and nothing coming out of it. And if we choose to take the blessings of God and just consume, 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 we're spiritually dead because it's not going out of us. As a blessing to those who need to be blessed. We're saying, I want to be saved, but I don't want to be sent. We've been given much to give much. God blesses his church to bless the nations. I am so excited. I want to sing praises to God because as I look at the church, he's blessed us. He has so blessed us with his word. He has so blessed us with the knowledge and an understanding. He's so blessed us with the indwelling power of his spirit. He's so blessed us with imputed righteousness. He has so blessed us even as we gather here today. But he's blessed us so that we would be a blessing to others. He has saved us. And he sends his church in the authority of his word to teach the nations. Not only has he blessed us with his knowledge and so that we would be a blessing, but he has given us his word and that he has the authority. He has all the authority, not us. He has the authority so that we would go and teach the nations, teaching them all that I've commanded you. And he gives his church the material riches needed for reaching those nations. Do you realize that we have the ability because of how blessed we are to go? Now, I'm not gonna talk about travel restrictions. Like, well, we won't get into that. But materially, we have the blessings and the resources to reach the nations, not to sin on them. David Platt, I'm going to close with this quote, says this. God has given me the gospel for a reason. 
And that reason is so that all peoples might know the gospel. God has given me material blessing in this world for a purpose. And that purpose is not so that I can be more comfortable or have more luxuries or so that I can coast out my Christian life until I get to heaven. No, that's not biblical Christianity. God has given me wealth in this world for the spread of his worship in this world. All of his blessings ultimately center on him, not on me. Out of more than 1,100 people groups, large groups in the world, more than 6,000 smaller groups, these ethnic groups, have never even heard of the saving power of God. That's over 2 billion people. That's not that they've heard the good news of God's grace in Christ and rejected it. It's that they have not even heard it. And the primary reason it seems that they haven't heard the gospel is because we who have the gospel have disconnected God's grace from God's purpose. We are sitting back with the gospel in the confines of comfortable churches where we're content to spend the majority of the time and money God has graciously given us on ourselves, never realizing that God gave it to us for a greater purpose. As we close, I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. I'm going to ask you real quick, what have you done with the blessing of knowing God? The individual blessing of knowledge of, of God, has it been passed on to generation to generation, to neighbor to neighbor? And I want you to think about the blessing that you have of knowing God and pray for the nations and the people groups who do not have the blessing of knowing him. Pray for the people in northern Yemen who are lost, who will one day stand before a righteous judge who judges with equity, who need his righteousness imputed upon them. I want you to think about the fact that you've not only been saved, but you have been sent. You've been given the power of the Holy Spirit You've been given the word of God and under the authority of Jesus Christ, you've been sent to go and to proclaim the excellencies of him who brought you out of darkness into marvelous light. Finally, I want you to ask the Lord to reveal to you the material, the physical, the financial blessings that he has given you in your life that he can use to reach the nations. God, is my prayer that you would call us out of comfortable Christianity and you would send us in the Great Commission. It is my prayer that our worship would be so contagious that we would sing of your glories among the Gentiles and they would come to know you. Father, it is my prayer that you would raise up individuals in this church and individually bless them in a way that sends them out in the Great Commission to the uttermost parts of this world so that you would be honored and you would be glorified. God, I pray that you would put the call on people's hearts today to go, to make disciples of all nations. God, you have blessed us richly. May we bless those with our knowledge of you. In Christ's name, will you stand? Will you respond?